like he said, my name's Jake. Good to see you. I'm one of the interns here. And for those of you that know me, I, I grew up in this area. And so I, I love the Tri-Cities and getting to share my greatest joy, which is, is Jesus and his, his word in the Tri-Cities. That's just such a, such a blessing. So I'm looking forward to getting to do that with all of you. Uh, and if you're just joining us as a guest, we want to say welcome. You're catching us at the end of our family Christmas series. So we've been looking through the lives of people in Jesus's family and considering what we can learn about Jesus through them. So we talked about his aunt and uncle, his mom, his dad. We looked at last week, Jesus as the son of the family. And this week, we're going to put a bow on all of that by thinking about what Jesus says family is all about, okay? Now, this is pretty timely. We're late December, whether you call that the Christmas season or the holiday season. We're not having that debate right now, but um, regardless of what you call it, Late December hits, and we're met with thoughts of family, right? And there could be beautiful, great thoughts of family as we get together. There can also be some harder considerations, right? Some fractures, some, some hardship around what family maybe shouldn't look like. And as we're met with pictures, both of what it shouldn't and maybe shouldn't be, um, whatever you're met with increases in intensity at this time of year. I'm really fortunate. I was, I was blessed growing up. I had some great pictures of what family should look like. My mom was huge for that. So I, my family's from Ethiopia. It's in Eastern Africa. And uh, I was born here. But my mom was huge in sponsoring a lot of our relatives to come and live with us. So if you can imagine this for a second, three-bedroom house with 12 people in it, right? We joked about how our tenant, Brian, had more square foot per person than we did, okay? Um, and it was just such a beautiful time. Christmas would come around, 15, 20 people easily. It was a great picture in a lot of ways of what family should be. Five years ago, though, uh, I got to see more of the other side of the coin. My mom ended up passing away. And for a lot of our extended family, she was the centerpiece that, that drew us all together, right? And, and without her as the foundation of family for some of those members of my ex extended family, they, they didn't know how to interact with us. They, a lot of us, you know, they couldn't look us in the eye. And that was hard. And we got to see some of those fractured pictures. That Christmas was very small in comparison to years past. So I, I hear that we probably all have a little bit of both, but in addressing the brokenness of family and the hurt that can come with it, Jesus provides himself as a solution, puts himself at the middle of family. And, and that's what we're going to see him talking about today, right? And we're going to hear him describe how Jesus radically redefines family. That's what we're talking about. And to do that, we're going to look at Mark 3. Uh, we're going to look at two passages in Mark 3 as you're turning there. It's in the back fifth of your Bible in one of the Gospels. So as you turn to Mark 3, 20 to 21... I'll kind of set the stage for us. So uh, up to this point in the series, right, we've been looking at Jesus's family in the months leading up to his birth. I want to fast forward us, though, 30 years. So don't think baby in a manger. Think 30-year-old carpenter, okay? So Jesus has kicked off his ministry, and in these first three chapters of Mark, he is driving home a point. Jesus is Lord. Not a nice guy, not a good teacher. The point he is driving home is, is Jesus is Lord, Right? We see right off the bat him declaring at the start of his ministry, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's declaring himself as, as Lord over salvation, declares himself as Lord over life, right? healing lepers and paralytics, Lord over God's holy day, 
the Sabbath, which, which really angers the religious elites so much so that they want to kill him, right? So it seems like we get two breath marks here. Um, in between these big teachings, it seems like these brief little interactions with his family we could pass over, but there's actually profound teaching that Jesus has for us here exactly in line with the theme of his lordship. So, so we're going to take a look at Mark 3.20. Leaning into this passage, Jesus is coming out of the mountains. Okay? He's raised up some disciples, loves having conversations in the mountains. You know, God, it's peace, quiet, godly aesthetic. It's great for conversations. So God likes talking to people on mountains, right? They come out of the mountains and they're swarmed by these crowds, okay? Because Jesus' authority has had these crowds come to hear him teach. And that's where we land in, in verse 20, picking up there. Coming back from this trip, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they, him and his disciples, could not even eat. And when Jesus' family heard it, we're watching for his family's reaction, right? This is, this is the key thing we're taking away from these passages. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind, right? Jesus' family is not on board with his lordship right now. Now, then he, he has this passage here. He's teaching about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk about that right now. Just think that Jesus' teaching in between these passages is stuff that you would need to be God and able to say. Okay, so, so he gets through that teaching and then we pick up in verse 31, his family's reaction to that. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside the crowd that had gathered around him, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about, at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So that's where we're camping today, okay? We're gonna see Jesus radically redefine family in two main points. First, is that Jesus challenges family. And the second is that Jesus creates family. Jesus challenges family and then he creates family. Let's look at this first point in our first few verses. The main idea I want us to take away here is that Jesus deconstructs our definition of family. So looking at verse 20, then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind, right? Jesus is teaching, people gather around, and his family's reaction is kind of like the reaction that we all have to that relative at the wedding. You know that relative. It's a relative that takes the mic during the toasts and gives an impromptu speech he was not invited to give, right? Crowd surfing at the reception. You know this relative, okay? We all have. And Jesus' family, here's the things he's saying about his lordship. And the crowd's gathered around. And their conclusion is, Jesus has gone loco. He's out of his mind, get him off the stage before he hurts somebody, okay? And we can understand that to a degree with his brothers. Pretty, pretty understandable. I have an older brother, okay? I don't like acknowledging him as my elder, okay? Growing up, I didn't like that he got the front seat all the time. Not sure how I would cope with him being Lord, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father forever and ever, Amen would probably be pretty hard. So, so we understand that. They wrestled with Jesus' lordship 
They did not believe. But if we only see them, we only see one part of the picture here, right? Because his family has a spectrum to it. On one side, you have his brothers, but on the other side, you have his, his mom. And she's mentioned in this passage, right? And we know this. Matt, Matt talked about it a few weeks ago. Mary was a woman of faith, right? When the angel came to her and said, you're going you're gonna to bear the Messiah, she said, okay, let's go, right? She, she treasured up all the truths of Jesus being the Messiah, being raised in her home. So, so Mary had faith. The question is, then, why would this woman of faith obstruct Jesus's ministry? And I think the answer's for us in, uh, in verse 20. The crowd gathered so that he could not even eat. Can you hear Mary's voice? Look, Yeshua, I understand that you came to defeat Satan, sin, and death, but I want you home for dinner. <laughs> right? I can hear my mom's voice in Mary's. Can't we just have a nice meal? Is it just my mom that talks like that? <laughs> right? We, we understand this. So this spectrum of family in the passage, you know, the, his, his brothers didn't want him to be God. Mary just didn't want him to be God right now. Right? And, and for us, we can see what happens when there's an agenda put in the middle of family other than Jesus's lordship. That's the motivation behind their sending and calling for Jesus in verses 31 and 32, right? And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. If you're, if you're familiar with uh, the Bible, you might have heard passages talking about, you will find God when you seek him with all of your heart. That's a very different type of seeking than what we see going on here, right? When we're seeking for God to conform to our agenda, God does not play ball. But, but when we're seeking for God to help us to fit into to his agenda for our lives, that is the heart that can approach Jesus truly as Lord. Their agenda was a little different. They wanted Jesus to stop being God for a minute, or forever, so that they could do family time the way that they wanted to do family time. And what was Jesus' response to this? We see it in verse 33. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? It's a great question. Let's, let's marvel at the timing of this question for just two seconds, okay? The Academy Awards, between uh, 19... Well, there's a 70-year clip, so it ends in 2012. So whatever the 70 years before that is, right? And that 70-year window, 63 people, when they're doing their acceptance speeches, thanked their agent for helping them get to where they were, right? 170, 100 more, thanked their mom. When you're successful and you have a crowd around you and someone prompts you, what do you think about your mom? Or do you have anything you'd like to say to your mom? It really just brings up your mom at all. Could you imagine a co-host turning to the person that's getting the, the award? Do you have anything you'd like to say to your mom? My mom? Who's that? <laughs> if you've got a decent relationship with your mom, that's not the right answer. Right? Or it seems like, right? Why would Jesus say that? Well, what he's doing is he's challenging the place of family 
in our lives, or really anything in our lives that we would place above Christ. He does that a lot, right? In the bigger canon of his teaching, in Luke 14, 26, we see it too. If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, 21st century North Americans, okay, we are the least family-oriented people on planet Earth at large, right? We get a call, we see they're related to us, we silence it. We don't decline it. If we decline it, it goes right to voicemail. They know we're screening their calls. We want more plausible deniability than that, right? So we mute it, put it in our pocket. Guys, here we're the, we're the least family-oriented people on the planet. And we see this teaching and we're floored. And the reason we're floored is because what Jesus is saying is he's in a position to define and fix family. He's in a position to say where it ranks on the totem pole. And I think it's important, guys, that we don't take Jesus out of context of what he's saying here, right? We have to look at the, the biblical teaching in, in the bigger scope. If we take God out of context, it'll sound like he's saying that he doesn't care about blood family. And that's not what our God believes, right? This is the same God who gave us the 10 commandments, one of which is honor your father and mother, right? Jesus dying on the cross, what's one of his last words? Take care of my mom, right? God inspires Paul to write in 1 Timothy, and I quote, if anyone does not take care of his relatives, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So our God cares about blood family a great deal. To our God, blood is thicker than water. But Tri-City Church, I gotta ask you, which is thicker to you? The blood of family or the blood that Jesus bled for you on the cross? Because in Jesus' eyes, he is a much bigger deal than family. And that claim is intimately connected to the problem that Jesus is pointing out in this passage. And the problem is this. If you have any foundational family agenda, any foundational agenda at all, that is not named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is here to challenge it. Now, why does he do that? Guys, because it's good news. Because he loves us. And he knows that any part of our lives that's rooted in what is finite, what is unstable, will collapse, right? And he loves family too much to let us do that to family or ourselves. I think of, of my extended family who, who had my mom as the foundation for how they related to us, right? She, like our definitions of what it means to love or any person or anything we could come up with will fade. But Christ is the solid rock that endures. And he says that he is to be the foundation that we are all to build our life upon because if we build on something finite and he doesn't tear it down, reality will. So Tri-City Church, what are you basing your family on? And by that I mean to ask, what excites you most about your family or devastates you most about your family?
what have you taught your family to primarily gather around? Is it your traditions? Is it a nice meal like Mary? Is it looking like the ideal family for everyone else to see? Do you have a foundation for family that when someone wrongs that foundation, it makes it impossible to forgive them for the hurt that they've caused you? Jesus is saying here that if anything in your life is not ultimately based on him, he is here to challenge it. So praise God that he challenges family and praise God that he creates family in its place. So, so let's transition on to that second idea to see how Jesus creates family. And the main idea here is that Jesus adopts us into true family. Verse 34 says this, and looking about it, those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. If you ever want your heart to melt, I highly recommend that you go to Google and you look up pictures of animals adopting other animals. I had like 8,000 of them here on the slide, but I had to cut it down because Matt said I have to stay in time. So uh, this is Kira. She's a German short-haired pointer, okay? And she's adopted cherub, a baby owl. Because the only thing cuter than adopting an owl is adopting a baby owl, right? <laughs> How sweet of Kira to protect and love and care for and fight for cherub who she has adopted. That's enough to turn your heart into a puddle. <laughs> Tri-City Church, infinitely more beautiful is the picture of God adopting us as his family, right? And that's what Jesus is describing in this passage in verses 34 and 35. He pronounces family status over those who have gathered around him in his name, right? This is a picture of God adopting his people. And if you're looking for some, some keys, to some major themes to unlock your understanding of, of God's word, adoption is one of those major themes that's woven throughout scripture. We see it in, in Romans 8, verses 15, uh, 17 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, sisters, um, you're adopted as sons in this uh, picture that Paul's painting because we're talking about an inheritance, okay? At the audience that Paul is speaking to, the son would inherit the family fortune. So he's uh, adopting, he's talking about adopting his sons to paint this picture of inheritance. Men, uh, in other parts, uh, we're the bride of Christ. So if we get to be the bride of Christ, sisters, you're sons of God for the sake of this illustration, okay? <laughs> um, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So thanks to the Father's plan and sovereignty, thanks to Christ's work on the cross, thanks to the Spirit coming and living in our hearts, we have been adopted into the family of God and we inherit, right, life with God, heirs of God. But here's the thing. When we inherit life with God, we also inherit life with the family of God, the other children of God that are now our brothers and sisters, right? This is who Jesus is talking about in verse 35. 
He says, who is it that does the will of God? Well, the people who do the will of God are the church. And if you're new to church, it's really worth noting that the church is not a building, right? It's a family. It's not 2145 Nova Scotia Avenue, right? It's, it's the family of God. And this family is adopted by Jesus. So, so now who does, who does Jesus adopt, right? He takes the most far off person, not close enough. He takes enemy and opponent and adopts them into family. We actually get a really great picture of that here in this passage in the life of James, right? James is one of the brothers that Jesus has. You might remember earlier the people that, you know, thought he was the crowd surfing uncle, you know, take him off the stage. That, that level of opposition to Jesus, right? And we, we read that James is one of those brothers in Matthew 13, 55. So uh, someone's trying to identify Jesus and they say, and are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, right? So I want to focus specifically on James right now. He was a guy filled with unbelief, as we see from earlier in the passage, but he doesn't stay that way. Early church history records for us that he actually ended up becoming a great leader in the early church. Some call him James the skeptic that was, that was, uh, ended up being adopted into the family of God. And he writes this letter. God inspires him to write this letter uh, that's preserved for us in the Bible. And in the introduction of that letter, we see a couple of really key points that help us understand um, God's word today. So looking at James 1.1, this letter that he wrote, he starts it off as such. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice he doesn't say a servant of God and my big brother, Jesus Christ. Though that's true, he, is, he has come to a point where he just reveres Christ as Lord. He has been adopted into the family of God, going from trying to yank him off the stage, seize him, he's out of his mind, to servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ. James has been adopted in. But there's another thing we see in this introduction if we go a little bit further down. To the 12 tribes in the dispersion, those are the Christians that he's writing to at the time, right? Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers. Others translate this, my brothers and sisters, my siblings. Count it all joy, my family, when you meet trials of various kinds. You see how, how James isn't just seeing himself in this one-on-one, or one-on-three, depending on how you think about it, relationship with God. He's, he's thinking about himself also in relationship with all of you, with all of us, right? He's adopted into the family of God. This James was obstructing Jesus's ministry. He lived with and was related to the second person of the Trinity and did nothing to stop him from getting crucified on false charges. This James ends up calling Christ Lord and you family. That is a picture of how no one is too far off to come home to Christ. So how does Jesus adopt us into his family, right? Well, by making this adoption available to us, by making himself available to us. This is not a story of, of you chasing down God. This is a story of God chasing down you, right? And we see it pretty clearly in Mark 3.20, right? 
Then Jesus went home. He comes back from this work trip. I'm sure he's exhausted. Maybe you wanted to hit the bed after some days away. But what happens? And the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. He could have practiced the self-care that we also desperately want and need. But, but he is never willing to, to pull himself away from in the, in the big picture, serving the people that so desperately need to be nourished by their, their king. He is an available God to you. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas, right? The Old Testament prophecies, Matt talked about this last week, refers to Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, right? He had perfect family, perfect community, one God in three persons. And Father, Son, and Spirit were doing just fine without us, but created us so that we could delight in life with the family of God and we rebelled and ran away. We ran away to this broken place where family yells at each other for not unloading the dishwasher and works so hard that we forget our responsibilities to those that we're supposed to love. We've got a broken world and a broken family here. And the reason that this hurts so much, the Bible tells us, is because we were made for this family the perfect one with God, and Jesus had that in the Trinity. But seeing our need for him, he came as a baby in a manger and lived out the perfection that we abandoned and died the death that we deserved so that by faith in him and in his work on the cross, we could be entered back into this family with God forever and with each other. Guys, this is so important for us to catch. Jesus evidences his merciful compassion by making himself and his family available to us. So when he says, here are my brother and sister and mother, the subtext is, and here I am for them. Here I am for you, right? So what does that adoption mean for us as Tri-City Church as we go into 2019 together? Um, verse 35 says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So what this adoption means for us as the family of God, that's us, is that we do the will of God. And the first part of that is, is pretty obvious. It's literally laid out in this text. We gather around Christ as Lord. If you don't know Jesus, I, I understand that family can carry some hard concepts for you. Maybe so much more wounds than warmth. Your family could have passed away or been, is overseas right now, maybe. Um, you could have experiences with family that aren't quite self-sacrificial and loving, so the idea of even a heavenly father can be really hard. But what I just so hope you catch is that God's will for you is to accept the familial, warm embrace of the creator of the universe who wants to see you home and cared for. And, and as if that embrace weren't enough, he also wants you to be embraced by us here as a reflection of his love for you. So regardless of who you are or what you've done or where you're from or what's been done to you, God's will for you in this passage is clear. Come home. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, I want to focus on three uh, family-based takeaways for us as we go into the new year together. 
those are go deeper together, help out around the house, and remember our center, okay? Uh, the first is go deeper together. We've got so many ways to do that, right? We've got community groups that are gonna be kicking back up in the new year to break bread together and talk about the sermon and God's word and pray for each other. We've got men's things and women's things that are starting up in the new year again and youth and young adults. That's great. Can I let you in on a little secret though? You can successfully go your whole life plugging into every program we've got and eating every baked good we have in the lobby between services. You can go your whole life here, skimming across the surface and not come up with one heart level relationship here. And that would be such, such a heartbreak for all of us to know. Guys, most especially because it's a battlefield out there and shallow relationships with God and with community are not gonna help you when trial and temptations come. So in order for us to be able to be with you in that, you're gonna have to put yourself out there. And I know that that carries with it the possibility of rejection. I know many of you reject me every week. Um, but, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but, but that's a legitimate fear. I get that. But, but if we let that take reign of how we engage with community here, the world does not need more crowded, lonely places. And we should not let this be one of them. So it might mean you asking someone for coffee or inviting them over to your house for hospitality or whatever that looks like, but let's, let's make sure we're going deeper together and pursuing meaningful family. Secondly, let's help out around the house. And by around the house, I mean here. Uh, so we've got a bunch of serve teams, right? There's parking, there's kids. Um, we need help with Alpha in the new year. Um, we've got so many opportunities to cook with, with Youth Connect and with Alpha and I'm always hungry. And there's just so many ways for you to serve here, right? For you to take the gifts that God's given you. If you've been blessed financially, maybe you need to consider going above and beyond with the, with the building fund or with the support we're giving to Hope for Freedom. There is a clear will for God for you in taking what he's given you and using that to see the, the kingdom come down and, and love your your brothers and sisters, and your neighbor. So let's dig into that here. Let's, let's help out around the house. And lastly, let's remember our center. If you take nothing else away from today, the foundation of Tri-City Church is not deep relationships. It's not serve teams. It's not baked goods in the lobby, okay? It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if we forget that, then we're gonna fall prey to all the same things that family can normally fall prey to and Jesus isn't at the center. So, so let us please remember our first love, the God who first loved us, right? And, and out of that, as we, as we keep him on the throne at the center, he will do everything that he promises. Guys, let's remember Mary in this passage. She believed Christ was Lord. She just took him off the throne at the center for a little bit and there's grace, but, but let's keep him at the center and he will do all the things he promises to do. He will save us from sin. He will save family so that it can be what it is meant to be. And he will do all these things by saving us to himself. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making your love available to us by sending 
your son to die. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect obedience that we did not have, um, that we do not have, but because you came and incarnated 2,000 years ago, because you lived out that perfection, because you died in our place, and because you rose, Jesus, we thank you that you have saved us too, this beautiful family of yours. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what only you can do, to shape our hearts, to have this family be unified in you, um, God, we, we so want, not just for our understanding of family with you at the center to benefit here, we want it to benefit everywhere. God, we want to bless our, our blood family that doesn't know you. And to those who are our neighbor, who we have no connection with um, because they are image bearers, God, this love that you've shown us spills out. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would keep Christ at the center of all that we are and all that we do. And as we go into worship now, Holy Spirit, would you just help us not praise and worship and give glory to the chords that are strummed or the songs that are sung, but to you and you alone. So we love you. In your holy name we pray, amen.